One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the latest Full Throttle podcast, the motorcycle racing podcast from Eurosport, wherever you're listening from, whether it's iTunes or Spotify or the Eurosport website or who knows, perhaps somewhere else. But we join you today. I can't really uh, describe it as a much better location. I'm looking out of a hotel room window on the seafront of Portimao. There's a boat dead ahead of us. When I say us, of course, I mean myself, Greg Haynes, with Julian Ryder. Hello, Julian. Good evening, as I think we should say now, Greg. Yeah, you're right. The Algarve coast, the Atlantic out there. Thankfully, no wind, just peaceful blue sea and sand. It's wonderful. It really is wonderful. A bird just flying past. There's a few people still on the beach and uh, a boat now, a speedboat going across as well. But yes, it is good evening because we're recording this now at half past six on Sunday evening. We've driven back from the track. Uh, quite a few people coming out of there today. Jules, first of all, it's been an absolute pleasure to work with you this weekend. Obviously, we'd worked together before, hadn't we, on BSB yep. with a few support races at Snetterton last year. But how have you gauged the return to Eurosport, the return to the World Superbike Paddock? Because it had been a while. It's been 10 years at least since I've been in the World Superbike Paddock working. And it was a pleasure. You know, it's, it's still a very competitive championship. We know there are things that needed, gaps that need to be filled in, both on the grid and in the calendar, in terms of the nationalities participating. The good thing is that most of those, or if not all of those, are being addressed. But what we have at the moment, and, you know, I'm a, fundamentally I'm a journalist, that's what I've always done for a living, TV is an accident. And the motto is always, watch the story. And the story is Johnny Ray versus Aldro Bautista. Everything else is below the fold, as newspaper men would say. Hmm. Well, it certainly was that in terms of race victories this weekend as well, of course. I'm sure you know by now, but Jonathan Ray taking race one on Saturday, taking the sprint race on Sunday. Aldro Bautista bouncing back by only by a tenth of a second in the end in what is officially called race two, of course, the second full-length race of the weekend, but the third race overall, if you get my drift. You're right there, Julian. It was right between those two all weekend long, and it's 10 points that it's gone up by. Jonathan Ray came into here with an 81-point lead. He leaves with a 91-point lead, and that, as we said in the commentary, is job done. It is indeed, and that is the way I believe Jonathan Ray and his team look at it. They look at the weekend. They don't look, oh, we had a problem in first, second, third race. Mm. They've extended the championship lead... By 10 points, job done. We saw his crew chief, didn't we, Pere Reba, in the paddock earlier on today. It was me and you and Charlie Hiscott, our Eurosport colleague, and Chris Tindall, our cameraman as well, was out there with us uh, in the paddock. 
And Perez still seems convinced, and I'm sure he's right, that the Ducati does have, I'm not going to say an unfair advantage, but a significant advantage <laughs> over the, all of the other riders. I mean, we did see a big, massive advantage, actually, on your straight line today, but is that just the bike, or is that Bautista off that last corner? It's a bit of everything, as normal. The advantage was out of the last corner, up and over the peak, and the wings, I am convinced, nail it yeah. nail it down yeah. so he could get the power on early. He's not having to feather a throttle or get on the back brake or something to control the wheelie. And it's moving. It's up towards its top speed much quicker than the other bikes get to their top speed. Now, Bautista and the Spanish are saying after the race, the problem is still in the long corners. There is still a problem. Bautista was fastest regularly in some of the in either Sector 2 or Sector 3, yeah. which are really quite twisty. Mm. And he could, coming out that last long, long right-hander turn 15, he could get the power down, he could keep the front wheel on the deck, and there was a top speed advantage, and he could drive past people, but he was driving past people early. It mm. wasn't a build-up to the top speed, it was that early application of power to tarmac without spinning, without wheeling, uh, that really showed. Something else which I actually forgot to mention in the commentary today is the extra downforce. They say it's 10 kilos per wing lip, 20 kilos on the front end. I mean, that's bound to give you better traction out of the corner, in terms of front end, that is. If, if you want to find a piece mm. of tarmac where those wings are going to be a major advantage, you've just seen it. Yeah, coming out the last corner at Portimao. Yeah, and it's exactly what we saw coming out of the last corner. Of course, the left-hander there, right-hander here at Phillip Island, right at the start of the season. Jonathan Ray, though, a hell of a ride this afternoon. The fact he only finished 0.1 of a second jewels behind the Ducati. Well, phenomenal. And again, we get a lot of criticism, actually, on Twitter sometimes for overpraising Jonathan Ray. But when we look back, I think people, as they always do, will appreciate more, I think, in the future, just what they're achieving on the green bike. It's always easy to underestimate a serial winner. Yeah. You know, Agostini people, still people never saw him. Oh, he had it easy. Well, no, he didn't. <laughs> he had Mike Halewood to deal with at the start of his career and Phil Reed at the end of it. You're telling me that was easy? <laughs> you know, Mick Doohan, five in a row, and people was as if watching Mick Doohan ride a motorbike could in any way be boring. So what were they saying at the time out of interest? Because obviously you were around certainly through those Doohan years. What were they saying? Were they saying the competition's too weak and that's why he's winning or just because he's on a better bike? What were they saying? Uh, well, it was just, oh, it's boring because Mick wins every time. But, of course, we're talking about the, the golden era yeah. of World Superbike as well. Yes, yes, of course. Uh, coinciding almost yeah. exactly yeah. with the Doohan domination in Grand Prix. Yeah, which does make sense, doesn't it? And I suppose in some ways it's a bit of a reversal now. We've got a golden era of Grand Prix racing, slightly different scenario, but a golden era of Grand Prix racing. And we have had dominance here, of course, with the Kawasaki the last few years. Job done then for Jonathan Ray. Bautista, we were questioning it, weren't we, Jules, all through practice on Friday how bad, and it was how bad, is that shoulder going to be? And if anything is to go by this afternoon from what we saw on the TV pictures, it was very bad in terms of pain, but Bautista got through it and he did win the race. He did. It's what we were saying right from the start. First race on Saturday, mm. no effect. He did 20 laps, carving through the field. Mm. And if he hadn't had the incident at turn one, you wonder what would have happened. 10-lap race this morning can do 10 laps, but you've got. You, we had to wonder, and we were wondering, what's the cumulative effect mm. here? Mm. And that's what got him in the second race, the full-distance race. By the end of proceedings, he was clearly, clearly, he was, as Jonathan Ray said, 
You can see Alvaro making mistakes. There was yeah. one lap where he lost 0.4 of a second. So he was banjaxed. Yeah, he was. So obviously I'm speculating now, but is it fair to say he would have been even further ahead had he not been hurt? You know, I know it's oh. easy to say that. What do you reckon? Well, he never got very far ahead. No. Jonathan Ray doesn't let that happen. No. I would guess that it's obviously, as the race went on, the trouble became... It obviously distracted him more because his lap times got erratic. And I think Jonathan had settled for second place. And then he started, and he said afterwards, then I saw him making lots of mistakes. So Jonathan starts so pushing Jonathan, harder. Yeah, OK, I'm not settling for seconds. <laughs> and he, and he, um, he put a charging last lap in that Alvaro only just managed to hold off. And, of course, even if Jonathan Ray hadn't passed him, he could have panicked him, couldn't he, then, into a mistake. By being there, he could have scared him into a mistake. That's that's what Jonathan, I'm sure, was thinking all the time. And what he's been thinking since the start of the season. All I can do is try and put this bloke off, try and put some hard passes on him, try and interrupt his rhythm here and there, and pick up every second place going if I can't win. Regarding those two now then, we've got two weekends off and on the third weekend, Magnicor for what it'll be round 11 of 13, just two to go after that in Argentina and Qatar. The thing there though, of course, is that Avro Batista has never raced at Magnicor before. I don't know whether he's even probably been to Magnicor before and unlike here, Jules, he hasn't been able to test. He tested mm. here pre-season and he tested here two weeks ago. He's not going to have that luxury when we get to France and Jonathan Ray, as we know, is particularly good there. Yeah, but I wouldn't... Th I'm being careful because I've not been to Magnicur. Right. As mm. Somewhere I hadn't been here. But from what you... From television viewing, Magnicur is not the problem that this place is. There's plenty of riders will tell you that... Yeah. I've been telling us all weekend that when yeah. they got here for the first time, it was, oh, dear, this is going to take <laughs> some sorting. And I think I heard James Whittam in commentary as well saying that he learned circuits quickly, but this place, woo tricky. Yeah, for a rider of Alvaro Bautista's quality, I don't see Magni Kerr as a mega challenge. In terms of a physical challenge? Uh, I, I wouldn't say that as in terms of learning it. I see. Right. OK, we'll find out then, won't we, in uh, three weekends' time. Then we've got Argentina and then Qatar. Argentina, unknown, of course, to Alvaro Bautista. Yep. Qatar, very known indeed. Although Jonathan Ray, just to uh, wrap up the championship uh, talk there, could mathematically wrap it up at Magni Corps for what would be the third year in a row in terms, of, in terms of winning there. Entirely possible mathematically, but let's, you know, if Alvaro is three weeks now, yeah. for that shoulder to get a little bit better, yeah. a bit stronger. I don't you know, the trouble is you don't know how much of a difference it makes. Shoulder injuries, the sort of thing he's had, yeah. are such long-term problems yeah. that it's entirely possible he'll be in exactly the same boat in France. And I suppose the only perhaps negative for the Ducati is that there's not any particularly long straight at Magnicor. We'll have that in Argentina and Qatar, um, yeah. more than one at each of them, but not at Magnicor. Exactly, a bit more technical. Very much so. OK, well, that's the uh, championship situation there at the moment. A quick word on their two teammates. Leon Haslam's had an all right weekend, I think it's fair to say. Charles Davis must be disappointed. He was second in race one here. And then, of course, that was off the back of the win at Laguna. And then 10th in the sprint race. That left him 14th on the grid because then you've got to go back to qualifying times for the final race, in which he finished 16th. Now, we don't quite know what went wrong yet as we uh, sit here at half past six. But even so, points-wise, he must be gutted. He must be because Laguna was the end of a long, dark period when your, yeah. te when your teammate is ripping it up and you've got trouble 
getting inside to the rostrum, as was happening quite a lot. Yeah. That's a problem. Saturday race here, ah, good. The What he found in Laguna has obviously transferred across. It works, and Chaz was very fast, very aggressive, looked like his old self. Not once on Sunday in either race could we have said in commentary, Greg, that Chaz looked like his old self. Yeah, I agree with you. I wish I didn't have to agree with you on that one for Chaz's sake, but I completely agree with you, Jules. Let's hope, whatever that is, they can get it sorted out. Just looking down the results from the latest race this afternoon, of course, it's Bautista Ray. Top Rat Razgatioglu, let's move on to him. Top yes. Independent, that's uh, likely to be won very soon indeed. Now, there's loads of talk about off-track stuff. We'll recap that towards the end. Coming here, I know you were particularly excited to see Top Rack in the flesh, weren't you, and to actually commentate on him. Has your opinion changed at all now? No, really, really. I mean, fun to watch, entertaining to watch. Yeah. And it's, you know, he didn't hit the ground at the start of the season. It took him a little while. Then all of a sudden, podium, podium, and he's there up the sharp end. Yeah. And when he was able to start today's second race from fourth on the grid, you know, which shows you where he should be. If well, exactly. he could qualify up. Exactly. Another problem for not just Top Rack, but yeah. several others. Uh, when he started from the top of the... He led the race convincingly early on. With a superlative double overtake. Yeah. On Bautista and Ray. Brilliant overtake. Real heart-in-the-mouth stuff. And o OMG from the commentators. Absolutely. Exciting, to put it mildly. A very, very promising young... When he's a tall bloke, he's only going to get heftier, you think, like most lads his age. So I see him as a career superbike rider. Yeah, me too. I don't personally see him going to the Grand Prix paddock at all. I just think the trouble is that the Grand Prix paddock is sizest. Yeah. Big time. Whether too tall or, or not yeah. tall enough, of course, as we saw with people... Well, Danny Pedrosa, obviously, the classic example on that one. And still managed so much success despite that. All right, well, that's top right, Razgatioglu. We'll come on to the rider market stuff a bit later on. Yamaha... <sighs> yeah, we both went <sighs> then, didn't we? It's been a bit of an ordinary weekend, is that fair to say? Vandermark was on the podium in race one. Talking of the Patty Yamaha team, Alex Lowe's was seventh. Sprint race, Alex Lowe's was third, Vandermark sixth. And then fourth for Lowe's and seventh for Vandermark in the full-length race this afternoon. So two podiums from a mm. possible six but, for that team, I'm not sure. But the gaps. Okay, exactly, they always look at that, don't they? The gap from the winner, not just the position. Yeah, yeah. positions were fine, but the gaps to the first couple were not. They just looked... The bikes look sensitive. In two races where Alex Lowe's looked like he was fighting to stay on it, and one race where obviously the tyres, where the conditions came to him, the early race, the cooler track, yeah. where he looked absolutely superb. It's not been uh, the easiest of weekends for Yamaha. I don't think they were expecting it to be a particularly easy weekend, to be honest with you. Melandri and Cortese have had a tricky one as well. Loris Baz, on the other hand, I have to say, as Charlie Hiscott mm. said to me earlier on, as we uh, did a bit of a chat after race two down by the swimming pool there in the programme. Loris Baz, again, punching above his weight, and so is the 10-carter team. Superb. Crashing qualifying. He messed up race one as well when he had an incident, so he was only 16th there, but ninth in the sprint race, which scored him a point. That put him ninth on the grid for the last race. And he was in sixth position and actually overtook Michael van der Mark. He was only three hundredths of a second ahead of the Dutchman over the line, Jules. But even so, that's another dry race on merit podium finish in the full-length race, that must be a little bit embarrassing for the other two Yamaha teams, surely. That's how it felt, watching Baz charge towards them in the closing stages of the race. And, oh, if he gets van der Mark and co, this is going to be a little bit a pain for Patter. And he, <laughs> he, he looked good. OK, they haven't had the bike for a long time, there's only him, da-da-da-da-da-da. So maybe... 
finding the setup takes too long. I'm not going to simply just go through all of the field because uh, that would be boring, obviously. Honda have not had a great weekend. Uh, we know that, and they had a great season, have they? Uh, Laverty's had problems, technical problems with that Go 11 Ducati. Jordi Torres has had a good weekend, I think, with the Pedicini Kawasaki punching above their weight again in qualifying and the races. Very quickly, just to finish off this sort of team review, BMW and Tom Sykes in particular, I expect a little bit more. I know they're down on power and it's a long straight, but, you know, he obviously had a problem in race one when he came off, if you remember, but... I don't know if the problem is actually a mechanical problem or a bike-related problem or just he's not feeling very comfortable. It's Well, especially when you factor in that second on the grid after after qualifying. Yeah. It seems that given an empty racetrack, he can go fast and do what he wants with the motorbike, but put him in a group and he can't do, do what he wants. He can't run the lines the BMW requires for a good lap time. And I think that's their problem. Let's move on to World Superbike in general, Jules, because we heard Charlie Hiscott chatting with Jorge Villegas, the uh, newly elected just a few months ago, earlier this year, of course, took over from Vito Repolito as the FIM president. He's from Portugal, as you said in the broadcast today. I didn't know, but he's from Faro, just down the road where the uh, airport is, of course, which uh, by the time everyone's listening to this, you yep. will have flown back from. I'm going back to Lisbon. You're going back to Faro. Um, yeah, Villegas said he feels that World Superbikes is going in the right direction. There was a slightly, I think it's fair to say, controversial interview he did with a Polish uh, journalist earlier on in the year in which he felt that Dorna perhaps shouldn't run both series. And I know Dorna weren't particularly pleased to hear that. So, yeah, A, what's your opinion on that statement? And B, he said he reckons World Superbike needs to diversify in terms of having yet more circuits that MotoGP doesn't go to. Personally, I agree completely. I think we need more tracks like Imola, Laguna and so on where MotoGP doesn't go just to make it more... I think the more different it can be, the better. Absolutely. What's the point in trying to be Moto Grand Prix when Moto Grand Prix exists and is quite happy and doing well? <laughs> yeah. uh, I, I, I took it from what Viega said, that he wants Superbike to be the pioneers into new territories, like Indonesia, yeah. like India, yeah. uh, and other markets, maybe to the Kimi Ring, maybe to these new... That's where Superbike should be going. And as you say, racing at the places where Moto Grand Prix isn't. That seems to me to be an entirely sensible thing to do for the other championship to not over... Why would you want to overlap with the other championship? What's the point? And surely Dorna, you would think, as the owners of both championships, whether you agree with that or not, regardless of that, they can't lose, can they? Because, you know, by, by making World Superbike better in whichever way that is, however you want to improve the spectacle, that's not going to have a necessarily bad knock-on effect for MotoGP, is it? No, why should it? And they have three healthy grids of quality teams and races. So, they've, you know, they have steered the sport through some tough, tough times. And that, of course, I guess you mean relates back to the dying off of the tobacco sponsorship era and obviously the global credit crunch and the fact, you know, we were down to quite a small grid, what, 10 years ago or so, 2010, 2011, not even 10 years ago. They brought CRT bikes in, didn't they, which became open bikes, giving a bit of an advantage to some of those slower teams, slower riders, as as it were. And uh, look at the spectacle we've got today. The the more you can dissociate them from each other, the more you can make Superbike different different places different riders different nationalities fantastic just a couple more minutes Jules and then we'll obviously sign off quickly back to World Superbikes then what sort of state do you feel the championship is in now you know in terms of not just the championship battle but the championship as a whole what sort of things would you like to see change I'm not saying necessarily improve but change in your opinion you watched the championship since it started you're at the very first round in 1988 and this now has been the 400th round here this weekend what would you like to see happen over the next few years well there were things outside of the control of the championship 
I want to see competitive Hondas, competitive Suzukis. Yeah. Um, but the Japanese factories have never thought it was their job to go production bike racing. They regard it as the job of importers or distributors, like Paul Denning's crew running Pata Yamaha. That's how the Japanese think World Superbike, and they've always run it like that. But I would competitive Hondas, Japanese rider or two, and vitally an American rider or two. Get Bobier and Gerloff over here as quickly as possible, somehow. And it looks like at least one of those two could be on this grid next year, quite possibly with the 10 Carter team, which is another good example, of course, as a a sort of uh, dealership there over in the Netherlands. In fact, they're the biggest, they still are the biggest Honda dealer in the whole of that Benelux region of 10 Carter, even though they're now racing a Yamaha here. Yeah, that would be great, wouldn't it? We need an American on the grid. So hopefully that will happen next year, and I think it probably will. Yeah, very quickly back to Honda, because we're not going to bombard everyone again, because I'm sure you've all heard over the weekend the latest rider rumours, and it's out there on the internet, and it's going in newspapers and everything else. However... Uh, the Honda situation, you never know for sure what's going on, do you? But it seems as though the project may have been delayed. That's the latest feeling we're getting here. Well, if the bike was supposed to be tested, it certainly hasn't. Mm. And, you know, time's running out. And we don't even know what team, you know, who's going to run these bikes. And Avro Batista's now denied that he actually ever signed for Honda. Yeah. We maybe get, the, if I get the feeling, he probably has signed at least some sort of pre-agreement with them. But that doesn't mean he's got to stay there or go no. there. He said they made him an offer. Yeah. And one would assume that was a lot of money. But uh, we're, we're also hearing that Al, if he had signed and the rumoured offer from KTM for Grand Prix is also true, mm. there will be a get-out in any motorcycle racer's contract that if you get a senior championship comes knocking, they won't stand in your way. There'll be a financial you know, settlement. It'll cost you, if you're Alvaro, yeah. to uh, run away, but you wouldn't be stopped. And it does sound like he might be going to KTM. We'll see what happens. I don't know whether he'd go to the factory team or whether Miguel Oliveira would take that bike and Alvaro would go on the Tech 3 machine. Who knows? It doesn't really matter. No. Exactly. And uh, the Kawasaki ride here, there's still many question marks around that, of course. We know Chavi Vieja has been signed now for another Moto2 season. And... A few names there still as candidates. Leon Haslam's obviously one of them. Alex Lowe's has become another one. I think it's fair to say this weekend. Yeah. Plenty of talk about that around in the paddock. Who knows who Jonathan Ray team at next year will be. We now, of course, now no longer have the thought in our minds that it may be top rack because he's no, we know he's going Yamaha. Mm. Yes, again, not officially, but it's an, totally it's an open secret yeah. that top rack will be with Mickey van der Mark on the Pata Yamaha. Well, there we are then, Jules. What's your plan now? Uh, you've got some more endurance, I believe, with us here on Eurosport between now and the end of the year. Baldor in a couple of weeks' time, which is always one of, is one of my favourite events. And it opens, of course, the new season of endurance. Yes. The yes. 1920, it's like a football season. And in December, the Eight Hours of Sepang. When I, you would expect quite a lot... Well, the Sepang International Circuit team will require their Moto Grand Prix riders to take part. That's not, you know, that's not even a... Mm. You know, Morbidelli and Quattararo will race that eight-hour. That'll be good to see. Um, and you would maybe think there'd be a few more guys lurking in the Superbike paddock and the Moto Grand Prix paddock who will get the call for that one. And that one, of course, is a new race, isn't it? The Sepang 8-hour. Brand new race. I don't think it's an extra race. I think the Slovakia in 8-hour is gone, I think. They're keeping it at five races. Very quickly, as you mentioned, Sepang, that's another circuit that's been uh, that's been mentioned, perhaps, as a World Superbike return next year. Kazakhstan's in there as well. And basically, the point I'm getting to is that it sounds very likely, in fact, we know pretty much from uh, what we're hearing in the paddock, that Thailand will be off the schedule next year. So you want, some, you, you want a race in, in that part of, of the world. And Malaysia 
Malaysia is a massive market, just like Indonesia. And I'm sure the factories would, you know, if you want help from Honda, you want help from Yamaha, going racing in countries that they're interested in selling motorbikes in is helpful, isn't it? Yeah, and of course we know we've got the Indonesian track, the new track there coming for 2021 for MotoGP and World Superbikes, if the track's ready, Jules. If the track's ready, but maybe what Viergas is saying... Right, the superbikes can be the pathfinders. Mm, like they were with Thailand. Well, and Portimao in many yeah. ways. Oh, yeah, of course, be, because be, that's been talked yeah, about now. Uh, certainly as a reserve track for next year. You said because the World Superbike paddock is smaller, yeah. it's not as big a logistical problem. Yeah. So, right, send the smaller paddock out. Yeah. They, if, if that runs okay, fine. Yeah. Roll out the four jumbo jets, the logistical overkill of a Motor Grand Prix paddock. Yeah, Viegas has even now said this weekend that he might try and get MotoGP here as a race weekend for 2022. Time will tell. Now, before we go, Jules, very last question, I promise. You've got to tell us all the story of the incident with the tow, ah. which you told me, of course, when we were in the car on the way down from Lisbon. What happened? Yes, yeah, so I'm slightly handicapped with a horribly broken big toe a few, a couple, few weeks ago. Furniture in the back of a car but on top of my plastic shelving and tables I use for auto jumbles, open tail eight on an incline, trial top table comes sliding out at high speed and the edge of it goes straight across my big toe. I didn't know it was on an incline. Yeah, that's it. it just came out like a ski jumper. Oh dear, that's unlucky. Are you all right now? Nails nearly grown back. <laughs> It's not funny at all. Not it got it hurt. I, no, broken, I bet it did. A broken big toe. Let me tell you, that is painful. Yeah. Well, I'm glad you're all right now. Which so my admiration for Randy Krumenacker, who raced with a recently broken big toe this afternoon, goes even higher than it was. Yes, and that scrap goes on, of course. Now Federica Caracasulo winning there, just getting ahead at the last moment when the red flag came out. Krumenacker ten points ahead. Three races to go, and the 300 fight goes on with Manu Gonzalez, very likely, I think it's fair to say, to win, and Magni Cor. Two races to go for them. Jules, it has been, honestly, a pleasure. Thank you it, very much for this great, weekend. I have to say, absolutely agree. A pleasure to work with, uh, with, with somebody who takes us... Uh, well, you're very efficient and very well prepared. You have a rather pleasantly laid-back attitude to the job, which I really like. Thanks for that. We will have another show coming up next week, of course, and we'll get some BSB discussed in there. You probably now know the six riders who are in the showdown, so check that out online. Jules, speak to you soon, and we will all speak to you with the podcast on the run-up to the next round next week. 